Hello, and welcome to the Virtual CISO Chronicles, a podcast where I interview a virtual chief information security officer about their work and their life. I'm your host, Caroline McCaffrey. I'm one of the co-founders of ClearOps, which provides software to virtual CISOs that helps them grow and scale their businesses. As experts in this field, we have met hundreds of security consultants, and we keep our fingers on the pulse of cybersecurity and data privacy. My background is in law, and specifically data privacy and cybersecurity law and regulation. I love learning about how people build businesses, and so I started this podcast to feature interesting people in cybersecurity to talk about their passion and how they built their business. If you don't know what a virtual CISO is, then these people are security experts who offer consulting services to companies. Sometimes they are also referred to as fractional CISOs. Today, our guest is Reg Harnish. I am so excited to talk to him today. So thank you, Reg, for joining me, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's great to be here. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, good to be excited about. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I I love, as I said to you just now, before we started recording, I uh, dig, dug into your LinkedIn profile a little bit, and I was so impressed by how much entrepreneurship you have in your past. So please tell the audience a little bit about yourself um, and, you know, include some stuff that's not security related. So, you know, I've fallen, I, I've get categorized as an entrepreneur on occasion, and I resist it. I'm not really, I don't really consider myself an entrepreneur when I think of my definition of people who are sort of crazy passionate about, you know, solving a problem, super smart, just driven to the point of, you know, complete, you know, mind numbingness. I just, I don't know, I don't, I really think of myself as someone who is better at improving ideas, not coming up with ideas. That's kind of where where I'm very organized and I'm very instrumented, meaning I love data and I love the exhaust that building a bit the data exhaust that building a business kind of spins off. And I love analyzing that and improving things. And so even when I was a coder back in my late teens, literally, I um, I was always better at looking at someone else's code and making it good than coming up with the code my myself. But yeah, I mean, I, I've certainly been involved in enough of my own companies and other folks' companies going back as early as 19, well, let's see, my first, the first startup that I was involved with was in Santa Fe, New Mexico. It was 1993. We were building software for book publishers. It was kind of like a an all-in ERP system, everything from publishing and billing to CRM. And, and so worked for a couple of years there, really got the bug. And I loved the idea of taking and building something from nothing and moved to upstate New York, which is where I'm from. And I had moved around quite a bit, but I moved back home ran into a company called Fact that was tiny. I was employee number seven there. And we ended up going through an IPO in 1999, late 99, early 2000. So it's kind of my first real exit. Although I, you know, and I did own, you know, some equity in the company, but I wasn't a founder or, you know, a significant shareholder at that time. But it was just kind of one of the stepping stones for me after, after that IPO, I actually moved to New York City and looked around for something interesting to do. Ran into Kimball Musk, Elon's brother, 
And we built a platform that looked a lot like YouTube. And uh, there's a miserable time to be starting a company, even with the Musk name attached. Kimball had just, Kimball and Elon had just gotten done selling their company um, for, it was 307 million in cash, which at the time was the largest all cash transaction in internet history. And so we we did that, but it was a it was a difficult time to to grow and you know build a business. And um, it, besides, I mean, of course, there was just no future in a platform where all you did was just watch videos all day. That was my <laughs> entrepreneur humor. Uh, so we we sold that. I moved back home, ran into a couple of guys who were starting a company called Autotask, became the CTO there, one of the one of the largest individual shareholders, spent about eight or nine years there. Autotask went on to be kind of a, certainly a local darling and in the industry that I'm in now, like managed services, IT, really became one of the top two, top three companies in the in the space. Ended up going through a number of exits, the latest of which was a merger acquisition with Datto, was roughly valued at a billion dollars. And then um, I kind of kicked around, did uh, got into cybersecurity at Autotask. And then when I left Autotask, I had figured, already figured out that cybersecurity was where I wanted to be. Um, I did some stuff with the New York State grid, the electrical grid, um, ran hmm. security there for a bit, and then some consulting here and there. And then in 2011, started a company called Great Castle Security, which pretty quickly became one of the largest and fastest growing professional services firms in the country. And then did that until the end of 2018. 2018, stepped down. It was a tough decision. Let me just put it that way. The best way to describe it. I had a two-year-old daughter and Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of change, a lot of you know, as all businesses go through growing pains, there were there were certainly those as well. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to stay in cyber and I loved helping companies get started. And so I started an advisory firm in early 2019, ended up working with five or six growth stage cybersecurity, you know, technology platforms, companies. And uh, that's that's still part of what I do today is is spend time with them. But one of the ideas that came to me in late 2019 was this idea of building a platform and a service for small businesses. And, you know, I was skeptical. I, I knew nothing about small businesses. And having spent 15 years or so in enterprise cybersecurity, my mind was already sort of pre-conditioned to think about cyber as an enterprise issue and an enterprise solution. But you know, once I started digging into the data, certainly the addressable market, 32 million potential customers, that was attractive. And there really wasn't a lot going on there. And, and I do remember back to you know, Great Castle days, having to walk away from these smaller organizations who couldn't afford us, we couldn't afford them. And honestly, our solutions were designed to handle massive complexity and scope and surface area. And so even if those small businesses could have afforded us, really the solutions would have been overkill for them anyway. Interesting. So all this stuff kind of came together and then 
really just fell in love with the idea over the course of six or nine months, and then ultimately launched Orbital Fire June 1st of 2020 in the middle of a pandemic, because why not? <laughs> and uh, here we are two and a half years later, company has been profitable for 18 months or so, uh, you know, over 6,000 users under management. So we've already, you know, in our space, in the managed services, small business IT space, we, um, we're already larger than the vast majority of the companies that are in this area. And it only took us two years to get there. So we're, we're pretty excited, although we know that there's a lot of work to do. Um, and we are, I would say, at least mildly, if not significantly, disrupting this industry in a couple of ways. So there's a lot of headwind and a lot of work, and it's a grind, but but I love it, and, and here we are. So uh, so many questions, but to start with that last point, how how are you disrupting the industry in a couple of ways? So today, the managed services business model is essentially identical to what we invented at Autotask and others. It wasn't Autotask only. Back in the 2000, 1999-2000 is really when that term started becoming very common. Mm -hmm. And the idea was to enable IT providers, which would become managed services providers, deliver continuous or recurring services through this IT provider, enable them so that they could become effective and make money doing this while being better aligned with their customers. So if you think back to the break fix days, the big issue with the business model was that the IT provider only made money when the customer had problems. So they were in direct conflict, right? They were not aligned. Managed services fixed that. But today the, the model is a bit antiquated, maybe a lot antiquated. And this idea of pushing more and more and more and more through MSPs is broken. It's really at a, a point where it, it's, it's not sustainable mm -hmm. because now we're pushing things like cybersecurity or attempting to push things like cybersecurity through MSPs. And one, most MSPs are small companies themselves, typically less than 10 employees, very small, working with small companies, uh, customers. And they have enough to do to manage their own relations, their, their existing relationships and technologies and platforms and licenses and all of that other stuff without adding a massive domain like cybersecurity, which, by the way, two thirds of which has nothing to do with technology. Right. So uh, we are changing that. One, we looked at it from an MSP standpoint, and we're doing a lot of really great things for them one, eliminating all of their, their cybersecurity expenses from vendor licenses to hiring experts to training to all of that's gone because we do all of the work. Hmm. Secondarily, we eliminate their accountability and liability. Now, if they're truly negligent, which most of them are not, but if they are, um, that's, a, that's an exception. But assuming that they're a competent IT provider or IT expert, we are the first people that the customer calls if there's an issue. So we take on that burden of being front and center when there's a cyber issue. And then the, the MSP gets to be a hero. They get to be part of the solution. Um, and then beyond that, we pay them for the referral, but we only sell directly to end customers. We do not sell to MSPs because they're already overwhelmed. Cybersecurity is too big for them to become an expert in. 
And there's this thing called segregation of duties that's built into every regulation, every best practice, every standard, every everything that we've sort of completely overlooked as part of this, this process. Now, so the writing is on the wall, but being mm -hmm. first in line with a solution like this, certainly we have scared enough MSPs in our two and a half years for sure. <laughs> um, but you know what's happening is customers are demanding it. I think they, small businesses are becoming more educated. Cyber is becoming more visible. It's getting in the way of them doing things that they understand like selling and getting insurance and, and answering questionnaires and keeping their best customers. Yep. And so they're looking for experts. And so what we say to MSPs is, listen, find a good cybersecurity partner before your customers do it for you. Right. And because the, it's almost inevitable, no doubt, no different than when break fix was at the end of its lifespan. Managed services in its current form is really at the end of its lifespan as well, or it needs a major course correction in a few areas. Interesting. So, so you are you're working directly with the customers for the cybersecurity component and then you you choose the MSP that's brought in or you present them as an option to your your customers well you know typically the MSP will introduce us to their customer base so they okay. refer us to customers that need cybersecurity we partner with them the MSP gets a commission check and we make the MSP better yeah uh, and yeah. so, and, and then we offload all of that cybersecurity expense, work, time, energy, stress, accountability. We offload all of that. But it's funny because that industry struggles a bit. I, I just saw a ConnectWise study that said 94% of all SMBs would gladly switch MSPs if they found something better. Wow. That's so the relationships <laughs> that's are very funny. volatile. Yeah, yeah. The relationships are very volatile and transient. And so in that industry, it's very hard for MSPs to be good at tech. I mean, technology is just really hard. Yeah. Look around. I mean, nothing works. Yeah. <laughs> Try making a cell phone call. Uh, so uh, they've I, got I a can tell you big, stories, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they've got a big job and it's difficult to do. So I'll, I'll credit to them. But taking on cybersecurity, which is what the industry wants them to do because they're just selling stuff to MSPs. And there's a lot of people out there making a ton of money off of selling stuff to MSPs, even if the MSPs, most of which, or the, the majority of which are either at the survival line or losing money. Yeah. They don't care. Um, so, you know, economics, all the, all the indicators are there. The industry is really due for a significant model update. Interesting. So, um, I'm going to ask you a question. I have another question that I want to follow on on this question. What was the hardest part about starting Orbital to Fire? Or what is the hardest part about running the business? Yeah. What was the hardest part? Well, there were a couple of hard parts, honestly. My you know, I'm 53. I have a I have a six-year-old daughter. We started Orbital Fire. She was three or four. And, you know, I had been for a couple of years weighing, you know, just how how much did I want to be working? Hmm. You know, and, and what were my priorities in life? And 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 clearly my daughter and my family <laughs> over time just took spots number one, two, and three. Sure. So, you know, I, I knew 
having been through this a couple of times, I knew it was going to be a lot of work. Um, and I just wasn't sure that I could do this in a way where I could invest the energy that it needed, you know, in a, in a respectful way. Yeah. The so second thing is that it, yeah, it was an area of business that I, I really had no, no experience in the, the, this small, so small organizations, small businesses, not, not really anything I've ever dealt with. So there was a lot of learning and ex experimentation and failure, honestly, uh, in a lot of ways, in a lot of big ways too. I mean, our, our, let's say our, our branding and marketing go-to-market awareness plan coming out was just, we'll just build a national brand. Everybody will know who we are and that should work perfectly. But that kind of cratered because again, going back to not knowing anything about small businesses when we started, that's, that's not where small businesses get their information. They don't get it from dark reading and other nerdy cybersecurity sources. Small businesses get their cybersecurity information from the Today Show and headlines in newspapers, local newspapers. Like they, and so that's a much different challenge. And so we really just went back to the drawing board and said, hey, listen, not only do our target audiences not get their information there, but they also want to work with someone small like them. Like there was yeah. this sort of, uh, you know, preference to work with a local organization. And so we completely scrapped our go-to-market plan and said, we're going to build a hyper-local orbital fire. And then if this, if this succeeds, then we're going to do it again in another tier two, tier three market and just kind of replicate that. But it was a huge mistake. Uh, and really it came out of my lack of, experience and and understanding of of that market and and some of their preferences and there are there are honestly a bunch of others too that I could talk about but it was you know it's a it was hard going you know we learned a lot of hard lessons i mean what's so fascinating about that is that you recognized that that was the source or the root of the problem i mean there's just so many questions i have in how you even what numbers were you tracking that you said hmm this seems to be where this we if we tweak this or fix this, then we might see better numbers that and that will result in yeah. a much bigger win for us than if we tweak something else over here. Well, I mentioned earlier, I'm a bit of a data nerd. And so mm -hmm. one of the first things that gets built is the dashboard, the instrument panel. And so there's a few really critical indicators that for me, you need to be monitoring at all times. And so you're looking at data on a weekly, certainly a monthly basis. Things like what's your sales cycle looks like, what's your average deal size, <clears throat> um, what's your close ratio. So in business development, those are a few examples of things that we were looking at and saying, if, if these target prospects and leads truly fit our criteria and we felt like they did because we were good at qualification, but they're still not closing in the way that we thought, Yet we may have stumbled into a few things, a, a few like, let's say, messaging that seemed to really resonate that we wouldn't have expected. And so we're like, oh, that's interesting. You know, why don't we try a, try that a couple more times and see how that works? And then you end up with trends and patterns and data to support these different decision make uh, these different decisions. But I think it's hard to do that if you haven't instrumented the business. 
Yeah. I mean, such good advice in, in terms of you're starting a cybersecurity business. And, you know, I think a lot of people just like, I just got to get that first client. And once I get that first client, that'll give me, you know, someone to refer me to another client and they don't sit back and look at who that client is, where they got it, how successful is that? How long did it take for them to get that client? And are they going to refer a business that is similar to that client? You know, I mean, exactly what you're saying in terms of the metrics, it's, it's such a fascinating area. I could literally spend another 20 minutes talking about that, but unfortunately we've already gotten close to the end of this podcast. So I have one more question for you. I'm going to ask, um, might not be the one you're thinking, um, before we end, which is what industry trends are you seeing or predicting for 2023? Well, I think I, again, you know, I spend all my time in small businesses these days. Mm -hmm. What's happening is that cybersecurity is getting in the way of small businesses doing common things that they understand. And while I would argue that, I don't know, maybe 1% of the 32 million small businesses in this country are meaningfully pursuing cybersecurity proactively or materially, I think that number is doubling. They are they hmm. are frustrated by cybersecurity. We don't talk to any, any small business, even if they're not really qualified, that isn't frustrated or scared or confused or... And so we're seeing those numbers probably double every year and it's accelerating. Hmm. So we feel like at some point, the trend towards recognition of the other literally 99.87% of the industry, which is small businesses, not Fortune 500. So almost, you know, if, you, if you're taking this problem, rounding it to the nearest whole number, it's 100%. Literally, the entire problem is in small businesses. Yeah. It's it's gaining traction and visibility and understanding in a way that it's getting attention. Uh, not only are small businesses inviting that attention because they're tired of questionnaires, as you know, mm -hmm. they're tired of getting their insurance canceled. They're tired of contract language that says, you know, what is DFARS? What is 171? Like they're, they just but it's keeping them from doing business the way they used to. And so they're paying a lot more attention, which is going to draw more orbital fires, you know, and, and more folks that can help solve this problem. And we're, we're really looking forward to that. Um, I think when that day comes, we're, we're going to be super excited. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Um, can great. you please let our listeners know how they can find you? Sure. Um, if you're looking for Orbital Fire in general, info at orbitalfire.com is a great place to start. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, just Reg Harnish. And my email address is reg at orbitalfire.com. Great. Well, thank you, Reg. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for and, having us. Uh, it's been great. I'm so glad you, you joined us. And if you're listening, you can find all of our blogs in this podcast on our Substack at the Security Expert Marketplace.